Greetings one and all, and welcome to this week's episode of the Angel Scrolls Project. I'm your host, Paul James Caden, and this week we are going to be talking about crucifying Jesus again. Now, some of you listening may say, well, what does that mean, or what the heck is this guy talking about? Uh, it's going to be pretty self-explanatory as we progress forward into our subject matter here on the show. So just be patient, stay tuned. Uh, you'll see what I'm talking about very soon. We have a lot to uh, delve into this week, so we're going to jump right into the subject. And uh, before we get into the thick of it here, uh, we have to understand that the scholars and theologians of old taught and understood that there were many layers to Scripture. And some of them even said that there were layers of the Scriptures that our finite understanding wouldn't even be able to uh, comprehend or identify in our current finite state. But there were levels that we could identify, that we could draw wisdom and insight and uh, spiritual uh, nourishment from. And of course, the first level of Scripture was the literal or historic level. And this was, of course, if you open the Bible and read about Abraham, Moses, Jesus, the life and works of the apostles, you're reading about an event that took place at a certain time in history. So you're looking at the literal or historic level of Scripture. You're basically taking what you read at face value. The next level of Scripture was the spiritual or mystic level of the Scriptures. And this is something that not a lot of people know about or practice. It was more practiced by the mystics of old or those in the monastic life when they would read and contemplate and meditate upon the scriptures. And to explain what the spiritual and mystical level of scripture is, uh, there's an old saying that says, you are every person and situation in the Bible and every situation and person in the Bible is you. Meaning that when you read the scriptures, everything you read about is pertaining to your own inner life, your state of mind, your state of soul, your state of being. So it becomes a very reflective and personal way to read the scriptures. It's very personal to you and your relationship with God. And then the third level was the prophetic level. And that is the level we're going to be talking about here in this show. Now, the prophetic level uh, was the knowledge that, of course, there is a lot of prophecy in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. There were prophecies uttered by the prophets of old, uh, by Jesus himself, by the apostles, and into the book of Revelation. 
but the prophetic level didn't necessarily look at those prophecies that were foretold. This level of scripture was to look at an event in scripture from the past and see how that event might reflect something for the future, especially as we get into those last days or the end of the age that Jesus spoke of. And so again, that is the level of scripture we're going to be referring to and talking about in this podcast. Now this idea, this subject of crucifying Jesus again, is a topic that I thought about doing for probably the last year, maybe a little better than a year. And even that I'm doing it now, I feel like I'm kind of unprepared. I'm not going to do the subject justice. I hope I can do a little bit of justice, uh, but I guess we'll find out as the you know show unfolds here. And uh, hopefully... Uh, with the leading and guidance of God, I can uh, explain this in a way that will get your attention and make you think. Now, these scriptures I'm going to be looking at through the prophetic lens or the prophetic level of scripture was something that about a year or a little better than a year ago just kind of jumped off the page to me when I was doing my personal uh, reading of the Bible. I wasn't reading the Bible in a mystical way. I wasn't reading it through the, uh, the prophetic lens or the prophetic level of Scripture. I was just reading. And... I came to certain scriptures that just jumped off the page to me and really just kind of opened my eyes. Like, you know, this is something that happened in the past that I think is being reflected in our world now and is going to reflect even more in the not too distant future, because I think we're getting ready to step into that um, time in that period of time that we call the last days, the rate we're going in this world, it seems like we're just hurtling ourselves, uh, toward that a, a little, a little more every day. And the first, uh, portion of scripture that really jumped off the page for me was in the gospel of Mark chapter 8, verse 31, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Now, these verses of Scripture I'm going to be reading that I feel uh, reflect something that's going to happen in the future all have to do with the trial, rejection, and crucifixion of Christ. And uh, again, hopefully, by the time uh, we're done with this particular show, 
and it's going to be a little bit of a longer show, uh, I think, because there's there's quite a bit to cover. Uh, I hope you'll you'll see what it is that I'm talking about. What really struck me here, and as I as I took notes and reread those scriptures, it just really became so clear in my spirit that the time finally came that I wanted to share it with those of you who listen to the show. So again, the first one that really jumped off the page for me was Mark chapter 8, verse 31, reading from the New Living Translation, and it states, Then Jesus began to tell them, his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. Now, this really, when I read it, like I said, I was just reading through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And when I, when I hit this passage, it just leapt off the page and into my spirit. And I said to myself, this not only shows something that happened in the past. The elders, the leading priests and teachers of religious law rejecting Jesus, but it reflects what's happening in our world now. And I think that reflection is going to get bigger as we get closer to the end of days. So let's read that again. Jesus began to tell his apostles or his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. So again, this is something that happened over 2,000 years ago in the life of Jesus. But if we look at those events, if we look at the world right now, we see how that rejection of Jesus and Jesus uh, suffering many terrible things at the hands of the religious leaders is still very much happening today on a very wide scale. We not only have those in Judaism and now uh, in Islam uh, coming out in droves, speaking against Christianity, even reinterpreting the Christian scriptures for the Christians and saying what you believe is wrong. Here's what your Bible is really saying. Here's what Jesus was really saying. Here's what the words of The scriptures are really saying, and we see a lot of attack uh, coming from uh, rabbis and, you know, a lot of folks in Judaism and Islam rejecting this notion that Jesus was the son of God. Now, those in Judaism uh, say that Jesus was not the son of God and he was not the Messiah. Those in Islam say he was the Messiah, but Jesus was a prophet. 
He was not divine. He was not the son of God. The interesting thing about Judaism and Islam is that they both reject the notion that the Messiah would be a heavenly being or a heavenly personality. In Judaism, they're looking for a very human Messiah who is a descendant of King David. And many rabbis say that the Messiah will even have a family. He will be married. He's a man. He's a mortal. The Muslims believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but his, you know, he wasn't really crucified. It was probably Judas Iscariot that was crucified in his place, and God made Judas look like Jesus on the cross. Jesus was taken up into heaven, protected from this, you know, horrible death. Uh, he will come again, but when he comes again, he will die in this great battle, I think, with uh, Gog and Magog, and he will be buried in a grave next to the prophet Muhammad. And that grave, I believe, is already waiting for Jesus to return and die in this battle. The Muslims also believe that there is another figure who will be a descendant of the prophet Muhammad, who is, I, I think they call him the Mahdi or some such thing. And uh, he's the one who will bring uh, Islam to ultimate victory uh, through the end times. So both Judaism and Islam are looking for a very human Messiah. But the problem I see with that is that there has never been any human being, any political figure, any political system or religious system that truly brought peace to the human race. They've all gotten into such things as tyranny, suppression, oppression, genocide, uh, killing those they felt were less than the chosen people. Uh, they've all taken on this kind of convert to our ideology or die type of mentality. And interestingly, the messiahs in Judaism and Islam do just that. Many in Judaism, now not all have this idea of, of the Messiah, but, but there's a, a good many of them who believe when the Messiah comes, he will exalt the nation of Israel, exalt the Jewish people, because they are the chosen people of God, and everyone else who is not Jewish, the Gentiles or the Goyim, will either uh, convert to uh, the seven Noahide laws uh, be subservient to the Jews, uh, be the slaves of the Jews, or be destroyed. And uh, these rabbis teach that we as uh, the Goyim or Gentiles uh, don't have a soul. We're, we're pretty much evolved animals, uh, that only those of Jewish descent have 
uh, a soul. And so this uh, human Messiah that, that uh, these certain rabbis are looking for will be very much human, uh, very much someone who uh, has favoritism, genocide, enslavement, uh, oppression to everyone except a certain group of people. And those in Islam, well, their messiahs aren't much better. When Jesus returns, it is said that the first thing he does is smash all the crosses on planet Earth and renounce Christianity and tell the people, you had it wrong. Your religion is false. You worship me when you shouldn't have. I've been a Muslim all along, so you either convert or, or be destroyed. And so between Jesus and this Mahdi figure, um, it's pretty much the same thing. You either convert to their religion, join them, or you're enslaved or you're destroyed. So very human traits to these very human messiahs. Now, some people might say, well, wait a minute. Isn't Jesus doing the same thing? He is the only way to God. We all have to be Christians or we're all going to be destroyed. Uh, not necessarily. See, the difference with Jesus is it said he's, he died for all people, that he will draw all nations to himself. And as much as religion today likes to say you have to convert or die, convert or burn in hell. The early Christian church did not teach this. They said if a person was of a different religion, but was a good person and lived by the golden rule, loving their neighbor as themselves, you know, you know, basically the Ten Commandments, don't kill, don't steal, don't do these things. If one was a good person and lived by the laws of God, the golden rule, the Ten Commandments, uh, it's likely they would be given entrance into heaven based on those things God would judge by the content of the heart. And we also see in the scriptures where uh, it says in the last days, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So just because someone wears the uh, name tag of a Christian doesn't mean they're going to make it into heaven. And just because someone does not wear the name tag of Christianity or being a Christian doesn't mean they will be barred from heaven. This is a very Western Christian idea. So there are a lot of differences when you know, when you understand, when you know the history, a lot of differences between Jesus and these other very human messiahs of uh, some sects of Judaism and Islam. But aside from these individuals, what about the leaders in Christianity? Has Jesus suffered great things at their hands? Have they rejected Christ? 
Well, I think they have. Because there are many of them who have turned away from what Jesus stood for and what he really taught. For an example, the prosperity gospel. These pastors and preachers and megachurches that teach in order for God to bless you, you have to give exuberant amounts of money to the church. And they teach that if you don't give, if you don't tithe, if you don't give gifts to the church, you're basically evicting God from your finances, and Satan is in control of your finances. So if you're living in poverty, it's because you don't have enough faith, you're not giving enough, and you haven't given God control of your finances through your giving. So basically, Satan is ruling your finances and keeping you in poverty. This is uh, complete, total, far-flung, opposite end of the spectrum of the gospel that Jesus preached to the poor in his day. So is that suffering terrible things and being rejected by the chief religious leaders? Well, I think it is. I also think that Many uh, Christian leaders today depart from what Jesus stood for by preaching uh, a very wrathful and angry Jesus. I saw a pretty well-known preacher on YouTube a couple weeks ago uh, say, if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in hell because Jesus is the author of hell. Those were his words, and I quote, Jesus is the author of hell, and if you don't believe in him, he is going to assign you a place in that fiery pit of torment. Now, again, this completely goes against what the early church fathers taught, some of them, that we just talked about that, that the person was a good person, but they weren't a Christian. They would be judged by the content of their heart, how they conducted themselves uh, in life. But also the early church never used hell as a conversion tool. They never scared people into believing Jesus or in believing Christianity. They preached the good news of Jesus dying for our sins setting us free from sin and death, setting us free from the oppression of hell and the dark side. We were, they were new creatures. They were born again. It was the good news. So when we see so much of this wrath and threatening people to become Christians and to believe in Jesus, I feel, again, this is Jesus suffering at the hands of the religious leaders. Because think about it, if we as human beings would reject someone who came to us and said, I love you, I'll give you everything you ever wanted, all that I have is yours, I'll give my life for you, I, you know, made great sacrifices for you, you know, I paid all your debt, I love you with all my heart. 
But if you reject my love, I built this prison where you're going to be taken and tortured night and day for the rest of your life. We'd look at that person and say, you're a nut. And we would get away from that person as quickly as possible. So if that kind of thing wouldn't translate very well or even translate, uh, you know, in any form of sanity in a human relationship, what makes us think it does when it comes to God or Jesus? It doesn't. And this has been the kind of thing, these threat tactics, these scare tactics that have driven many away from the faith. So again, Jesus suffering terrible things at the hands of the religious leaders. And this is not to mention all of the wars, crusades, inquisitions, genocides, all in the name of religion, all in the name of Jesus, all in the name of Christianity, in the name of God. What a terrible thing. And did not Jesus say, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword? Did not Jesus say, my kingdom is not of this world? Jesus did not promote violence, and war. Neither did he promote the behavior of many of these Christian leaders who abused children and women and people in their own congregation, abusing them physically, emotionally, spiritually, conning them out of money, stealing money from them. These poor people living practically in poverty while these people take their money and buy private jets and lavish homes and take extravagant vacations and travel the world and then turn around and say, well, you're not doing those things and prospering like I am because you're not giving enough and the devil is in charge of your finances, not God. And meanwhile, these poor people have given everything above and beyond to these greedy religious leaders. So I would say, absolutely, Jesus has suffered many things at the hands of the religious leaders of the day. And he has even been rejected by them because they don't teach the precepts that Jesus taught. And they've departed from everything he stood for and everything he taught. And in doing so, they make a mockery of Christ and turn many away from the faith. And even many who were once upon a time Christians are leaving the Christian religion. And people see the conduct and hear the words of these people. And for that, they begin to hate Christianity. They begin to hate Jesus. They begin, they begin to persecute Christians, to persecute Jesus, to mock Jesus. And we certainly see a lot of that going on today. And it's sad because people don't know. They don't know church history. They don't know 
the things that were taught in the early church. A lot of people who call themselves Christians don't even understand or know what's written in their own Bibles. They only know those verses that pastors and preachers throw at them every Sunday, cherry-picking. And so it's so very easy for them to be to get turned off, to leave the faith in those outside of the church, outside of the faith, to say, these people are phony, they're abusive, they're violent, they're arrogant. And we want no part of it. And yet these people go on, these leaders, they mix religion with politics, religions with race. We have the black Hebrew movement who teaches that, you know, Jesus was black. Everybody in the Bible was black, which if they were and they are fine, great. Doesn't make a difference to me doesn't make a difference to a lot of other people. But they teach when Jesus comes back, he is going to kill and enslave everyone who is not a person of color and make them slaves of the black man. Now, isn't that a wonderful picture of Jesus? But hey, we have white people who say the same thing. Jesus was white. And when he comes back, oh, mark our words, this is going to be a white man's world. So what terrible things Jesus has suffered at the hands of the religious leaders of the day. And what happens from there, Jesus suffering many things at the hands of the religious leaders and being rejected, then he goes to the next step before he is killed and crucified, and that is going on trial before the world. And that is reflected in the Gospel of Matthew, the 27th chapter, and beginning, I'm going to begin in the 15th verse, because this was the next, uh, the next verse of scripture that really jumped off the page to me. And I saw reflections of it in the world right now. And I think those reflections are going to get stronger as we get toward the end of the age. So after the religious leaders reject Jesus and he suffers many things at their hands, we now go to Jesus on trial before the world. And so we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15, again reading from the New Living Trans Translation, and it states, Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowd gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious re leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. 
Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. And we know what happened after that. Pilate had Jesus flogged and sent him to be crucified. So why is this verse important? Why did this particular verse jump off the page uh, when I was reading through it? I think after Jesus suffers many things at the hands of the religious leaders as, and is rejected, he goes on trial before the world. You know, look at this Jesus. Look at this Christianity. What a terrible religion it is. What a bunch of lies it is. What has Christianity ever done? What has this Jesus ever done? Oh, he's a myth. Oh, he was just a man. Oh, he was just a revolutionary. He was just a story these people came up with. He's nothing. And when it comes to the trial of Jesus, and the people are asked, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? The crowd will always shout for Barabbas. Whether Barabbas be another religion, whether it be something in the New Age, whether it be the Kundalini, whether it be uh, all this strange uh, Eastern mysticism, they get into some very strange gods and goddesses. They will cry for anything that is not Christianity. They will shout for anything that is not Christ. And I think this is very plainly and starkly played out when it comes to the president of Donald Trump. And I know this is something that's going to make a lot of people mad. And I don't care if somebody's a Democrat or a Republican. Support whatever party you want. Support whatever candidate you want. I don't care. I don't judge anybody based on that. But what I did see when it came to Donald Trump as a man who many religious people began to call the new King David, the new King Cyrus, the Trump of God, God's man, all these false prophecies about Donald Trump. And there were many articles during that time that said many evangelical churches in America are trading in Jesus for Donald Trump. He became their political Messiah. And so people will always call for whatever furthers their need or their own agenda in this world. Even those who call themselves Christians will reject Jesus and call for Barabbas. Give us Trump. Give us Republicans. Give us 
all these strange things. Give us this kind of government, this kind of religion. And eventually, with this mindset, in the end, the crowd will even cry out to follow the Antichrist. Because as Jesus predicted, the world would hate him and hate those who followed him. And for whatever reason, Jesus and Christianity has become one of the most, if, if not the most hated religion on planet Earth. And we'll see how the world continues to treat Jesus in the next verses of Scripture, which is Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 27. And it reads, Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put scarlet put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. So when we see Jesus on trial before the world, the world rejects him. They cry for anything that is not Jesus. Give us strange religions. Give us strange gods. Tell us we're gods. Tell us we are Christ. There's a lot of that that I've talked about in my podcast before. And a lot of these teachers have hundreds of thousands of followers. These people who say, Jesus isn't coming again. I'm Christ. You're Christ. We're all Christ. We are Christ. We are the ones who have to do the work of Christ on this earth. And they call themselves followers of Christ, but they mock the second coming of Christ that the early church taught and believed in. So we see Jesus on trial. Who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? Give us Barabbas. They'll take anything that is not Jesus or the Jesus of true Christianity, the Jesus of the early Christian church. And after they choose Barabbas, what do they do? They mock him, they beat him, they spit on him. And we see in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, where it says, reading from the New Living Translation again, it says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, 
mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? For for before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So isn't it interesting that we see the Roman soldiers mocking Jesus, which is a picture of the world mocking Jesus after they reject him and say, give us Barabbas. They spit on Jesus. They mock Jesus. And you hear a lot of people saying these very things. Oh, where's the promise of his coming? He's not coming. We're Christ. You're Christ. All these strange religions and strange Christian sects that are, that are popping up. But they're not true Christianity. And they mock the truth. They mock the true Jesus. And speaking of mockery, you don't have to look very far to see that it's quite fashionable on social media to mock religion, especially Christianity and Jesus. I saw someone put a post up today that said, I hate it when people pray for me, pray against me, and tell God to meet me in an alley for a knife fight. Someone else I saw had a picture of Jesus hanging the middle finger. And it said, if you don't like me posting anti-religious material, pray to God to make me stop. I saw another, and these are all true, I'm not making these up. I saw another meme where it was a cartoon of a man reading his child a bedtime story, and he had the Bible in his hands. And the caption was, And so the magic sky king came to earth and became a zombie carpenter to save us from the curse of the magic apple. And the kid in the bed was thinking, the little thought bubble over uh, his head saying, you won't let me read Harry Potter, but you expect me to believe that crap. We also see a lot of atheists who think it's very funny and very logical to sit there and say, oh, if there's a God, let him give us a sign. Let him grow somebody's toe back. Let him, you know, make some great miraculous thing happen. Isn't that what the religious leaders of Jesus' time said? If you truly are the Messiah, show us a miracle. Show us a sign. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to this wicked and adulterous generation. What did those same religious leaders say when Jesus hung on the cross? They said, oh, if you really are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Then we'll believe you. That all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Mocking Jesus. Do something. Prove it. Show us a sign. And so eventually, what happens in the end? Jesus will be crucified and laid in the tomb. And the world will think that they have disposed of him. Just as many now predict that Christianity will be a minority religion in the very near future, 
and in fact already is in many parts of the world where Christianity was once the dominant religion. But like Christ rising from the dead and coming out of the tomb, the second coming will be the great awakening for many. Only this time, it will not be a quiet event that only a handful of people see and witness. It will be a worldwide event that will shock many, as we read in the Bible. They will gnash their teeth and be overcome with terror. The one they hated and pierced is now coming to settle accounts with every soul. The scriptures show us a very clear picture of this in the book of Revelation. How when the Son of Man returns, there will be many who will try to make war with him. And they'll gnash their teeth and they'll shake their fist. And they'll hate Jesus even at the appearance of his coming. Their attitude will be, just go away, leave us alone, stay dead, stay in the tomb where we put you. We mocked you, we, we, ridic we, mocked you, we ridiculed you, we rejected you, we, we crucified you and killed you and put you in the tomb. Why couldn't you just stay there and let us do what we want to do? But the book of Revelation says no matter how many chances God gave these particular people, they cursed God and shook their fists at him. So what a sad picture this is of the human race. And so how will Jesus find you when he returns? Will he find you doing right? Will he find you loving others? Or will he find you gnashing your teeth in anger, in terror, in anguish at his coming? Because you hate the truth that much. Angelic Reflection When it comes to the topic of crucifying Jesus again, there is one thing that the angels would like us to know, and that is, there is nothing in this world that will ever lead us to peace and salvation. Man has tried for centuries to build heaven on earth through money, politics, war, and killing those he considers his enemies. Man has even gone so far, at times, to call himself God, or an emissary from God. But in the end, even these self-proclaimed God-men have resorted to the old ways of genocide, conquest, oppression, and tyranny. The angels know full well that man will never be able to save himself. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, this world is in a fallen state, 
and only God will be able to rescue us in the end. There is no technology, politician, or political system, or all-too-human Messiah that will be able to save us from this fallen state that keeps us forever going round and round in this cycle of violence, destruction, and death. The early church and the scriptures have told us time and time again that this is why Jesus came and died for us. He took our place and died for us in this fallen world of violence, destruction, and death. He set us free from that cycle and will come again with his holy angels to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. How will Jesus and the angels find you on that fateful day? Will you be mocking or gnashing your teeth in terror and dismay? Because rest assured, that day is coming. There is evidence of it all around us, even as I speak these words. And the angels are pointing to the door that leads us out of all of this turmoil. Jesus said, He is the gate. Will you enter? He is not threatening you or holding eternal damnation over your head to make that decision. He sacrificed himself for you and is doing everything he can to bring you to safer and more peaceful shores. God is love, and love is pleading with us all to come home before the final curtain closes on this broken world. I'm Paul James Caden. I thank you for listening to this episode of the Angel Scrolls Project. Until next time, stay in love, stay in the light, and walk with the angels. God bless. <laughs>